If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, I want you to turn with me, Psalm 23. We're in the 23rd Psalm, and I am just trying to stay real. I'm trying to stay active. I'm trying to stay in the moment and speak in to take God's Word and apply it to what we're walking through, the situations that we're walking through now. And so I may not go through the 23rd Psalm in in order. Fact is, I haven't. And so tonight, we're going to look at this issue of, of he restores my soul, Psalm 23.3. We'll get to that in a minute. And I, I just got to, I have a disclaimer. I just got to tell you something that I was thinking of this as I was like preparing this message. That when I, when I started out in ministry, I had all the answers. And I had all the answers. I, could, I had a verse for like everything. I could, I could explain anything. It's amazing how smart I was when I was immature and inexperienced and hadn't lived enough life. But I've lived enough life, and I have some experience. And we've walked through some crisis. I mean, we have, we, we, we have, some, we have some scars, and we've walked through some things. And I want you to know that, that I am out of the explaining business. I am into the trusting and praying business, trying to teach you how to trust God try to teach you how to trust God, how to pray. And guess what? One day he's going to answer all of our questions. He's going to take care of that whole thing. And so tonight I just want to walk through this scripture. I want to serve you well. I want to give you comfort. I want to give you encouragement. I want to give you support of how to walk through the, the, the crisis, the times that we're in. Psalm 23.3 reads this way. It says this. I'm only preaching the first sentence, the first phrase. Uh, David writes, he said, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And so the good news is, is we all, we all need to have our soul restored. We all need to have our soul restored when we go through crisis, when we come out of crisis. And so you have to ask yourself the question, what happens when we go through crisis? What, what happens to us? What happens to our brain? What happens to our mind? What happens to our emotions when we go through crisis? See, here's the deal. Your brain, your mind builds a map. It builds a road map for you to like live by to where how you think life should be, how life should work out, how life should end up, what life, what family and friends and situations should look like. And then and then all of a sudden, something interrupts that. Many of us have heard the term PTSD, right? Post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. You know what? We're not living in, po- in PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. You know what we're living in? We're living in present traumatic stress disorder. I mean, this is like real time. This is like happening to us right now. And so when you go through these times, you have to learn to quiet your mind. You have to learn to be still and know that I am God. I think there is a reason why God started teaching us this principle at the first of the year, months before this crisis ever happened. I believe he was preparing us for this. Little did we know what was coming. We just knew we were supposed to learn that scripture, be still and know that I am God. Learn how to quiet your mind because, see, in crisis, in crisis, crisis assaults your mind. Crisis assaults your plan. Crisis, listen, crisis will shake the very foundation of your life, of your, your relationships and your connectedness. We all, need, we all need those connections to function, right? Friends and relationships, and, and crisis disrupts that. You don't see the same people at work anymore. You may work from home. You're not in, you're, you're not in the same meetings together like live any longer. You may not be able to go or you don't. You can't go to lunch with them. You can't hang out with them at a coffee shop. You know, for me and for us, I can't hang out with you in a worship center. I can't hang out with you in a lobby. And that is a strange thing. 
And so we were made for relationships and we were laid for con- con- connections. And the other thing is this issue of structures. We, were, we, we, we have these structures that make us feel safe and crisis disrupts that. I, I, I go to, you know, I get up in the morning, I take a shower, I get ready, I get dressed, I drive to work, I go to work, I go to lunch, hang out with some people, I go back to work, I spend some time at the job site or the office, I go home, I go to the gym, I go to the, the bowling alley or I go to the golf course or I go to the tennis courts or, or I I go to my fav- go out to dinner, my favorite restaurants. I go to my favorite stores, and now all of a sudden, it's like it's like this has disrupted those structures, stru- those structures, and those rhythms. And I don't know if you're like me, but I like to hang out with a lot at, at a lot of non-essential places, and a lot of the places I love to hang out, I can't hang out there any longer. And then all of su- also this issue of control. We were, we were designed for control. We were designed to have a certain amount of control, and now it just seems, listen, it just seems like we're totally out of control. It seems like someone else is making all the decisions for us where we can go and when we can go, when we can travel and when we can't travel. I mean, it seems like, it seems like, it seems like if we're not careful, we can feel like that in this season, we're, we're, we're literally out of control. The only control, listen, we're learning this, right? especially through the 23rd Psalm, the only control we have is self-control. I will walk. The only control we have is this issue of self-control. But there's also another thing that crisis does, this issue of purpose. We need a sense of purpose or a sense of accomplishment until we're asking ourselves, how are we going to handle this? So how do you get through crisis? How does God, listen, how does God restore your soul? Not after the crisis, but during the crisis. That's what the 23rd Psalm David is actually answering. It's in the crisis. I will walk to the valley of the shadow of death, and I will fear no evil, for he is with me. But he also makes this this statement that he like, he restores my soul in the present. He restores my soul in the midst of the crisis. So one of my favorite stories in in Scripture, and and actually I went back to a book that I bought a number of years ago. It's What to Do on the Worst Day of Your Life. I mean, it changed everything for me about walking through a crisis, and it prepared me for some crises that I would walk through and helped me to navigate through them. It's a story of David at at Ziklag. It's it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and it was like like David's, it, it was his crisis. It was one of the most difficult days of David's life. He was about 29 years old at the time. He had accomplished a lot of his life. He had a lot of highs and a lot of lows, a lot of hurts and a lot of pains and a lot of disappointments. And David had been living in Ziklag for about one year and four months, what the scripture tells us. And, and, him and he and his men had been away for, for a few days. And so they're, they're like returning home and they're, they're walking back to Ziklag. And, and this day was just like any other day. Isn't that the thing about a crisis? Crisis never comes with a warning, right? Crisis never, it's, it's like not on the calendar. It never, it never alerts you. You don't get a calendar alert that tomorrow there's a crisis. So this day seemed like any other day for them. And so they, they'd been successful in their journey and their business trip. They were happy. They were excited. They're returning home. But as soon as they got near the city, as soon as they got to the city, they, 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 could, see the, they could see the smoke. And their conversation, listen, was no longer happening. It was no longer light. And they began to run, and they rushed to Ziklag, and they were, they were horrified by what they found and what they saw. The city had been leveled. The city had been totally destroyed. Every building had been burned. There were only a few people, like, left in the city, 
And David was able to like piece together what had happened in the city and, and the enemies that attacked the city while, while they were gone. And they took their women and took the women and children captive and they set the city on, on fire. And this was like, it was like the worst day of David's life. And, and think about it. He, he lost everything. And one day he lost everything. He lost his possessions. He lost his house. His house had been burned. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm still fighting cough and from allergies. And if I cough improper, please show me some grace. Uh, it's hard to do the elbow cough with a mic, and I need to get the cough away from the mic. So please show me some grace. And, and so his house had been burned down. His family had been kidnapped. And, and he had lost connection. He had lost purpose. He had lost structure. He had lost control. He had lost everything. So this raises the question again is how does God restore my soul? In crisis, I want to give you four things. Give you four things that have helped me navigate through this. The first thing is this, is you have to remember to process your emotions. You have to, listen, you just have to remember to process your emotions. You have to call it for what it is. You have to name it. You have to be able to express it. And listen, in, in families, you need to show each other grace. You need to allow people to name it and to express it. Go ahead and say, you know what, this is bad. This is a crisis. But God will help us in the midst of this crisis. He, he restores my soul. And, and David comes to grip with, grips with Ziplag, and, and he started to begin to process his grief. First Samuel chapter 30, verse 3. We're just going to read through some of this. Here's what he said. He said, and when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David wasn't exactly alone in his weeping. He had 600 other men, what Scripture tells us, that were grieving along with him. When trouble hits you, you have to come to the place. You have to process out your emotions. See, living by faith is not living without emotion. Living by faith is not living without feelings. Being strong in faith does not make us immune from emotion. Those, listen, those who live by faith, they experience emotion like everybody else does. This is, they just don't allow emotion to have the last word. Your emotions do not have to have the last word. You know what the scripture says? God has the last word in your life. And people who live by faith understand emotion and hurt and pain and all of those other things, but they just don't allow emotions to like have the last word in their life. In crisis, you have to come to this place to you allow God to restore your soul, to, to reset your mind in, another ways, in other words, so that you can adapt to change and you can adapt with what's going on. Listen, I'm not any different than you. When I see some of the news feeds, I hear some of the announcements, I hear some of the statistics. In one day, right? In one day, I can deal with worry and faith and fear and hope and grief and joy and complaint and gratitude and indifference and love and weakness and strength and foolishness and wisdom. Like Simon Peter, right? One moment confessing, Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And only moments later, Jesus would say, look at him and basically call him Satan and say, get behind me, Satan. I thank God for his grace. I thank God for his love. And so you look at this story, and there were like these four lepers in this story. And they would, they would sit outside the city of Samaria, and they suffered, they suffered more 
uh, than their share of suffering in, in their time. They had this incurable disease, and they were separated from family and from friends, and now they're in like this midst of, of a famine. Actually, they'd been practicing social distancing. Listen, let me tell you something. Social distancing isn't new. Social distancing is something that, that our government just didn't come up with. Social distancing has been practiced for thousands of years in Scripture. And these lepers were practicing social distancing. And they were separated from their family and their friends. And, and they, they, could have easily, they could have easily been conquered by grief and probably no one would have blamed them. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3 says about these, these, these lepers, it says this. It says, now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, this is so healthy. Why are we sitting here until we die? In other, in other words, they're like, you know what? We're going to get moving. In other words, one thing we control, self-control. One of the controls we have is self-control. I will walk. And they said, we're, we're, we're going to walk. And, and they begin to process through their, their grief, and, 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 and they find healing. Some people, when they go through grief or they go through crisis or they go through sorrow, they ask all the wrong questions. They get stuck on why me and why am I going through this and what did I do to deserve this and how much more of this will I have to endure. And, but these guys, these four lepers, they were, they were rising up. And they were moving forward in faith, and they not only found a better tomorrow for themselves, but you and I can, you and I can do the same thing. See, the lepers named it and expressed their, their grief and their hurt and the crisis. David named it and expressed his grief, and he, he like processed through it. And you, listen, you have to name it, and you have to express it, Parents, help your children through this. Ask your children and be okay with their answer. Just help them navigate through it. How is this affecting you? How is this changing your life? What emotions are you experiencing? Couples should have these same conversations as well. And last week we talked about this issue of worry, right? Let me, let me process this out just a little bit more as we look at this. Man, if Take your worries and learn how to compartmentalize them. Learn how to navigate through them. Uh, Henry Cloud talks about this issue, and one of the things that he recommends is just taking a, a notepad and, and like drawing a line, <coughs> excuse me, drawing a line down the middle and put worries on one side and put another list on the other side. And one side is like the worry list, the, the things that you you can't control. David would say it would be the, the shadow, but the things you can't control. So you just, you just list it out. I can't control respirators. I can't control the statistics. I can't control the food supply. I can't control government shutdowns. I can't control people hoarding and all of those other things. I can't comp control how people social distancing or practice social distancing. And then just list them out on that, that piece of paper. And then worry over them for like, like 10 minutes. Just worry your little heart out. And just think about those things. I mean, isn't that what Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, 34? He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. And today has enough worries of its own. And then make another list on, on the other side of the paper. The things I can control list, the I will walk list, the, the I will walk through list, how I'm going to respond, the words that I'm going to say. 
the rhythms I'm going to have of reading scripture and prayer and, and, and some of those other things that bring structure, my resources, doing a budget and some of those other things. See, this is what David was saying in the 23rd Psalm. He says, I cannot control the valley of the shadow of death, but I do have self-control. I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I will fear no evil. evil. Why? For you are with me. David named it and expressed it. God, this is a crisis. God, this is bad. But I'm expecting you to walk with me. And I will walk without fear because you are with me. Make a I will walk list. And as we just walk through this, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, it says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter and so, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. You put two people in the same situation and one comes out bitter and one comes out better. You see it here, they've all walked through the same situation. David lost sons and daughters and family just like they did. Yet one group is bitter And it seems like David is better. I'm telling you, if you're going to process out your emotion, process out your grief, you have to fight against bitterness. Bitterness will destroy you. Bitterness will stop the the healing, the grieving process in your life. Bitterness is like like a roadblock. Bitterness will, will keep you from moving on. The men in their bitterness, you know what they did? They, they, they blamed David. It wasn't David's fault. They just needed someone to blame. They had forgotten all that David had done for them and how he had helped them. And, and, and for some reason, they believed this was his fault. In other words, these guys, they, they, they allowed bitterness to, to like infect their soul and blame. Blame is always an indicator of a bitter soul. The problem is, is blame does not belong on the road to recovery. And when difficulty hits you, listen, you cannot afford, you cannot afford bitterness to creep into your heart, to creep into your life. Because when the weeds of bitterness come up, it'll choke out gratitude, it'll choke out joy, it'll choke out happiness. Can I tell you this? Bitterness will choke out healthy relationships in your life. A bitter spirit, in case no, no one's ever told you this, is destructive. Bitterness in your life has the ability to cause all kinds of problems, whether it's your health, whether it's your mind, what's in your emotions, your relationships, your finances. The Bible says that the root of bitterness, in fact, is Hebrews, if you want to reference. Hebrews says this, and the root of bitterness will grow up, spring up, and will defile many. I've watched, in my experience of being a pastor, I've watched, unfortunately, I've watched bitterness destroy people. I've watched a bitter person destroy families and marriages and businesses and even churches. If you allow in this season for bitterness to enter your life, you'll create more trouble in your life and you will not be able to process out your emotions. This is, this is what's happening to David's men. 
Man, as, as a pastor, I'm just so aware of this, that bitterness has destroyed more Christians' lives than almost anything else. I've watched people abandon the faith because they came, became bitter and became mad at God and walked away. The only thing that's going to break bitterness in your life is forgiveness and in gratitude. The second principle is this. If you're going to process through your grief, remember to focus on God through worship. Remember to focus on God through worship. David, David's only control was self-control. David couldn't control whether the men are bitter or not. David couldn't control the crisis that was happening around him. The only thing David had as control was self-control. I will walk to the valley of the shadow of death. And you have to, if you're going to walk, you have to refocus and remember to refocus uh, on God through, through, through worship. Here, here's what the scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, all the way through 10. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were, were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God and David said to Abathar the priest the son of Amalek bring me the ephod and Abathar brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord so now as soon you see worship you see prayer and so David said shall I pursue this this band shall I overtake them he answered pursue for for you shall surely overtake them and surely rescue so David set out the 600 men who were with him they came to the brook of Ashur and, and where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued. He and 400 men, 200, stayed behind. Why? Because they were too exhausted to cross the brook of Ashur. How did David find strength to carry on? He worshiped. He knew where his strength came from. He knew what it meant, meant to pray and have these healthy rhythms in his life. And David, what the scripture said, <coughs> encouraged himself by worshiping. No doubt, I mean, if, if we're just honest, no doubt he probably didn't really feel like worshiping. He probably didn't really feel like singing. He probably really didn't feel like praying. But David did anyway. Because David knew that was one thing he could control. He could control who he looked to for his strength, who he looked to for his joy and and it was a choice that David made. And David sang of the majesty and the greatness and the power of God. And, 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 and you just look at this issue of his life and, and, and how he worshipped. A lot of theologians believe that, that he, he worshipped to Psalm 34 and, and to where he talked about the majesty and the greatness of God, the power of God and the presence of God. There's nothing about the circumstances in David's life that was encouraging. David was... You know what David did? He limited his focus to his present circumstances. He didn't really look to the next day. Again, that's what Jesus talked about worrying in Matthew chapter 6, 34, when Jesus just simply said, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. David never really looked ahead. He just stayed in the presence. And the scripture says David encouraged himself in the Lord. And David's, God was David's constant because God doesn't change regardless of the situation. 
And then David opens up and he begins worshiping in Psalm 34. He begins talking about the majesty, the greatness, the power of God. He began to say that verse that says, Oh, magnify the Lord within me. And so it means, when you look at that, it means to change your, your perspective. Uh, to enlarge means to make bigger and a larger perspective. And when we magnify something with a magnifying glass, a, a microscope, a telescope, it doesn't change its reality. We don't make, listen, we don't make the object larger that we're observing. But what we do change, we change our perception of it. And we cannot make God any bigger than he already is. But you and I, can magnify our perspective of God. Instead of trying to magnify the crisis, magnify the situation that you're walking in, David understood this, and David worshiped it. He started talking about the power of God. And he says, oh, magnify the Lord. In other words, he was changing his perspective of him. In other words, you come to the place and you make God bigger than your trouble. You, you refuse to magnify the trouble. You refuse to magnify the circumstances. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Not our sorrow is our strength. Not our crisis is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Listen, you have to understand the bigger story. Man, you, you have to remember and start telling the stories where God provided for you through a crisis. I mean, you see this all through Scripture. We're going to look at a few of the Psalms, and you see this all through Scripture, what God would tell the people when they're going through crisis, remember when, remember when I did this. Remember when I delivered you out of the crisis. And so one of the ways that we strengthen ourselves in the Lord, one of the ways that we worship Him is, is like gratitude, and we remember those times. We remind ourselves, guess what? We remind ourselves, just like David was doing, that God is bigger than our crisis. God is bigger than the crisis that we're walking through. God is bigger than the coronavirus. Remember, remember Jacob or, or Joshua and Caleb? And they went into the promised land and they came out and they said, yes, there's giants in the land, but guess what? Our God is bigger than the giants. Remember Moses, when Moses says, yes, there's a Red Sea in front of us, there's an Egyptian army bearing down on us, but guess what? God is bigger than the Red Sea, and he's bigger than the Egyptian army. When we walk through a crisis, we have to understand this is for us, for the Jones household, we've walked through plenty of crises in our life, and we have learned that God is bigger than every crisis we've ever walked through. God is bigger than cancer and a brain tumor, God is bigger than, a than, than, than adoption. God is bigger than starting a church without any funding, without any money. God is bigger in sustaining a church through a crisis. God is bigger than any crisis that you and I will ever walk through. And we have to come to the place to where we're willing to discuss it. We're willing to talk about it. We're willing to remember some healthy conversations you could have as a family. Is to get the family around at supper or lunch or whenever and start talking about remember when. Remember when we went through a crisis let mom and dad tell you what God did early in our marriage or early in our family. Remember when we faced a crisis? Did God not come through for us? I mean, you look at this, and Jesus was honest about this. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. The third, third principle is this, is remember to do something productive. Just remember to do something productive. We need a sense of accomplishment. We need a sense of purpose, even in the midst of crisis. Without a new perspective, 
you will never gain anything new. And David gained a new perspective. He had a passion for life again, and he was able to move on. You really don't ever get over grieving. But you, listen, but you can gain a new perspective and move on. Instead of focusing on what happened and the loss of the present moment, these men now had a vision of recovery, and they moved on to a productive future. They were able to find a new way of looking at life, a new way of looking beyond the crisis. Listen, you don't get over your grief, but you move through your grief, and that's what these men did. David was so convinced that, you know what, that God wanted them to recover. Uh, Psalm 23, 4 again, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And David regained his passion, his passion for life and his, and, and, and his passion for moving forward. He understood he had a purpose and he had meaning in life. God had a plan for him. You, listen, you can recover. You can recover. From a devastating crisis, a devastating experience, you can recover your joy, you can recover your peace, you can recover your happiness. You can recover from financial failure, you can recover your dignity. You can recover to the point where you once again have a meaningful life. Listen, please, please, in this moment, don't let tragedy or failures Define your identity. Define who you are. Failure and loss are, are events, but they don't become your identity. They don't have to become your identity. Failure and loss are things that happen to you, but failure and loss is not who you are. You're, listen, your identity is defined in Christ. That's where we find our identity. And some of you may be going through grief right now, but I'm just telling you, God is not finished with you. God is not finished with your life. He is not through with you. This is not the end. It may hurt. It may be a crisis. But guess what? We are going to get through this together with God. That's why he's connected us together. You may right now just need to say, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. In the midst of crisis, in the midst of difficulty. The fourth and the last thing <coughs> is remember it's not the end of the story. Remember it's not the end of the story. At the heart of the story of David at Ziklag is a story of restoration. I mean, how, how will we recover for him? How will we recover from loss, loss of a job, a home, friendship, marriage, child, Crisis for us, how will we recover? I, I don't know. I'm out of the explaining business. I'm in the trusting God and the prayer business of helping you to trust him, draw close to him, and allow him to res, res, restore you. I don't, I don't know God, how God's going to do this. But I do know God's grace is able to do far more than we can ask or imagine according to the power <coughs> according to the power that works in our life. And we have to come to the place where we maintain our faith in Jesus Christ. And we will recover. Listen, there was a time, there was a time in David's life that was a lot like ours. He wasn't allowed to go to church. 
He couldn't go to church. Psalm 42, 43, and 45 are like, like written during this time. These are some huge principles in these three psalms that, that David has written. Verse 4 out of Psalm 42, verse 4, it says, David's thinking about this, and he says, My heart is breaking. Is how I remember it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, <coughs> leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy, giving thanks, amid the sound of a great celebration. He processed, processed out of his emotions. He remember what it was, remembered what it was like. He named it. He expressed it. He processed. In verse 5, something happened. Psalm 42, 5. He says, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. When, when he moved his hope to him, when he moved his hope to God, Everything changed in his life. Now, listen, I don't know if you know what it means to be cast down. A lot of us don't know. I mean, that was a, that was a shepherd's term. That was like a common term that was used in our day, and we know that David was a shepherd, and David uses his term cast down. It's not a term that we use today, but it was a very, it was a term that was used of their day that, it, <coughs> that everybody understood exactly what it meant. When a, when, a, when a sheep was, was um, got them into a position to where they couldn't get out of it, when they fell down and they were on their side, and that they ever rolled over to their back, they couldn't get out of that position once they were on their back. There was no way a sheep could get out of that position. Uh, their legs were up in the air. Uh, the blood flow changed. Their legs would start going numb. Not only that, but they are not, on, not only that, but... Um, Someone just tried to throw water at me, and it, it, <laughs> it was a distraction. <coughs> and their legs are up in the air, and their legs would go numb. And then not only that, but the sun would, like, beat down on their stomach, and the way their digestive system would work, uh, that their, su their, their stomach would begin to bloat, and it would begin to swell, it would cut off oxygen to them. And so a sheep could only stay in that position for just a few hours. Not only that, but they were helpless. They couldn't defend themselves in the case of, a, of an attack. And as a result of that, they were very vulnerable. They were helpless. And this is what David was saying. David was saying, oh, my soul is cast down. In other words, I'm helpless. I am totally helpless. And only a shepherd could restore the sheep. And only a shepherd, the good shepherd, God could restore him. And when he came to the place and he wrote, he, he wrote that verse and he says, Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in tor turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Every one of us needs a shepherd that can restore us. Verse 6, he goes on, and it's not going to come up. I just, it's, it's sitting here open, and I just, I'm just staring at this verse. And, and he says, my soul is cast down within, in, within me. Therefore, therefore, I will remember you. Three different times in, in this, this psalm, in, 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 in verse 5, in verse 11, in, in, in Psalm 43, 5, 
again, you see that verse, and David keeps going back to, but my hope is in God. I shall not trust in Bo. I shall not trust in myself. I shall trust in him. I, I will remember you. I will remember your faithfulness. I will remember your love. I will remember that you are with me. And only a shepherd, only you can restore me. Remember the storms. Remember the storms in the scripture and when Jesus would get in the boat with the disciples. And, 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 and so you have to ask yourself, when, when, was the, when was the crisis over? Jesus got in the boat, and we don't know a lot what happened, much about what happened after that. And the next thing you see is like they made it to the other side. But we don't know if the boat capsized. We don't know if, if, if they had to row. We don't know if they had to swim. We know nothing about that. And so you have to ask yourself, when was the crisis over? You know when the crisis was over? The crisis was over for the disciples when Jesus got in their boat boat. I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Listen, this is a crisis. Let's just call it what it is, but I am here to tell you God is bigger than this crisis, and we're going to get through this. And we're going to get through this together. And that's why we've created a buddy system. That's why life groups are still meeting online. That's why Bible studies are still meeting. That's why pastors are still meeting with people online. That's why we're working to introduce some new things to connect us deeper. And you and I need to develop a I will walk list. These are the things that I can control. Because he wants to restore your soul. I'm going to read the 23rd Psalm and pray and close, and here's what the Scripture says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Here's a crazy promise. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Maybe you just need as a prayer just to say, God, I need you to restore my soul. I need to magnify you by life journaling, by reading scripture, by prayer. I need to remind myself that my hope is in you. Maybe you just need to accept him, that you've never come to that place just to ask him to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, give you the gift of eternal life. And maybe right where you are, you say, dear Lord Jesus, would you just come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you give me the gift of eternal life? 
Would you restore my soul because he's the only one that can? And he can restore your soul in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of difficulty. If you made a decision of any kind, we'd love to hear about you, hear from you, whether it's a prayer request, it's a need in your life, whether you've made a decision, email us at fellowshiptherockies.org. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the power of your name. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us process all that's happening. Lord, that you would restore our soul. You'd give us peace. You'd give us comfort. Would we know we are not in this alone? You are with us. Then we have a church family that is with us. May we rely on you. May we rely on one another. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us. May you know the peace of Christ.